Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Please remember, we do discuss the whole book, which may involve spoilers. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm, lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code LLTB podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And let's get straight to book club. Welcome everyone to book club. Today we're doing White Oleander by Janet Fitch. And this was our own uh, member, Rufat's selection. So, first thoughts. Who wants to go first? I'm happy to go. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting into. I did not read like the synopsis. I just was like, let's do this, you know. So I did not have an expectation going in or a clue of what we were reading. But I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed that I felt like it gave... I don't know, a fairly accurate account of how things can go in a foster system. And so I I did appreciate having that perspective, but I also enjoyed learning more about her relationship with her mom, if I can say enjoy about that. But, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it was a relationship that um, we needed to explore and learn about. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every step of the way. Yeah, I was trying to sort her relationship up with her mom. I was kind of like all those letters and, you know, it's just like, what's going on? Okay, my first thought was, wow, a book club pick by Rifat that I actually liked. I was like, like, what is going on here? (laughs) But okay, Nina, you're next. So unlike Erin, I went into this book having read some Amazon reviews about it as I was ordering it. And the top <laughs> Amazon reviews were talking about the 14-year-old with a middle-aged man. So that was the picture. I went into it and I tried to get that picture out of my mind and give the book a fair chance. But as I kept reading, it seemed to affirm my opinion that I actually, I don't think I like the main character. And since I don't like the main character, 
I'm just not a fan of the book. And I think it's because I understand foster systems are terrible. I worked in public services, so I, I get that. However, I keep racking my brain trying to figure out where the heck she learned that stuff from because she didn't have any friends. Was she watching her mom? It was just very odd for me to picture an eighth grader or a ninth grader having that kind of awareness of sexuality and empowering themselves with a woman's sexuality. It just didn't gel for me. Uh, before Rufat goes, I just, I thought it was something that based on her experiences and how she was approached, that that's where she was kind of, because she was forced to, I guess, you know, come to terms with it, or that's the way I felt it. But anyway, Rufat, your first thoughts. Uh, my first thoughts, so I read the book a few months ago, and my first thoughts at that time were like, uh, you know, it, it was just very sad. I understand about the foster and everything. It, is, it just felt very sad that, you know, a human child, a child is so vulnerable to and so dependent upon people who raise him or her, irrespective of how intelligent or not intelligent or, you know, whatever the traits. Uh, that was very sad to me, especially when in the end she says that, it, you know, let me be me to her mom. And that stayed with me for a long time. I just thought that that was very unfair of another human to do that, especially to your own child. Forget about foster, you know. So that was my first thought. It was a very touchy and very, very um, sad, but very, you know, something to walk away with kind of a book for me. I also read it a few months ago so no wait not a few months ago after you picked it uh-huh. then I read it and then I remembered I really liked it and then I'm like oh gosh book club's coming what what was this book about so it's kind of like it's an interesting thought that how much of this book really stayed with me versus how much left in the interim I'm kind of like no I know I liked it I was like I love this book but then, you know, I think it was that final confrontation with her mom. That final thing is what really just tied it in for me uh, for this book. So what is this book about? Like, why did this author write this book? Does this book need to be written? What is it about? I, I personally think it's a really important book. It's not just one message. She goes through a lot of messages of like women and even prostitution and foster care and relationships. And there were so many characters and each character had some sort of a story that was not, I wouldn't call it ignorable. So it wasn't like where you have this person or this character that didn't mean anything or that didn't bring anything to the book. So that I think... Through those characters, the author brought a lot of life into the book. And so I think it was a pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, A book with multiple lives and multiple characters and multiple lessons. And, And I wouldn't even, I don't think, so that's what I liked about the book. I don't think she wrote it to give a lesson or anything. If she, I loved her non-judgmental tone, by the way, throughout the book. And I also read a lot of people, just like Nina said, that people 
I read it on Amazon and Goodreads where people like, why did she bring that up? Or why did, I mean, things happen. That's why you bring it up, right? It's just like a lot of Muslim readers don't like when Muslims are, or the Muslim women are portrayed as, oh, they were having sex before they got married or things like this. Uh, There is a book called Love Inshallah and a lot of, you know, people were against it, but everything, it's a, it's a compilation of um, true story, true stories, you know, and um, things happen. That's why they're in the book, whether it was a 13 year old or like, I mean, assault happens to anybody, you know, younger kids and younger boys and younger girls and everybody. So that's I think I loved her non-judgmental tone about she's not trying to, uh, she doesn't seem to have an agenda in terms of like, okay, I'm just going to write about this or that. But she wrote and she just threw it out. And, you know, I love, I love that part. So you think it's more about the fostering and foster care? I don't, I think it's, to me, the central theme seemed to be a relationship with her mom or mom's relationship with her. That's what I felt. Foster, of course, was part of it. Main part, another main part of it. But I think to me, it always seemed like relationship between the mom and the girl and and mom's her own <laughs> baggage too. <laughs> I will be the one bringing the judgment then. Um, so it is true. She wrote it very non-judgmentally. And I think that might be creating a void where all these people are coming in and judging and saying, no, she shouldn't have written about that. It wasn't the fact that she read about a child seducing, having sex with a man. It was more the seduction aspect of it that I found uncomfortable or unbelievable because I just was thinking like, where the heck did she learn this from? Like she apparently at age 13 and 14 was as sexually powerful as, you know, a playboy bunny almost. She was just really all about that. And I guess it kind of missed her innocence a little bit. The fact that she kept kind of putting herself in these situations where that that was a bad phrase, and I know that where she then was trying to essentially seduce somebody so that she wouldn't be alone and that she would feel loved, which of course is valid. But I think the story is actually, as as Rafit said, about her being a copy of her mother. Like her mother said uh, that she mated with Klaus because he looked like her brother so that she could have a child that was a copy of her. And I think the book is about her trying to overcome being made into a replica of her mother and finding her own self through that. Because yeah, all she knew was her mom. A a couple of things. The first thing that I was thinking is that uh, I do think that there's some realistic aspects about how she wrote about the relationship between the main character and that first foster home and the father figure there, the boyfriend and there. I mean, like that was molestation, but I don't think that the author was trying to make her seem like this, like seductress, this like playboy bunny. I think that that's not speaking to the main character and her uh, characteristics, but rather to like 
that that man that he was already like okay with being with minors because I think, I mean, like, that's how I took it is that like, it didn't really take much. And he was trying to put this back on her. Like it was her seducing him, but that was part of the grooming that he was doing. That was my take on that. So I don't think that the author was trying to portray that teenage girls without a father figure are, you know, learn how to be these, I don't know, sexual goddesses <laughs> um, uh, without any, you know, like that's the, I don't think that was what the point was. I think I took it as that it was like he was making her think that. And, and that was his way. That was one of his methods of manipulation. Could you give, do you remember any examples of the grooming? Because that did cross my mind. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I think when he, when, so she's there in the house with him and uh, the rest of the family was gone, I think to church, maybe was it to church and they're like hanging out together. And he's like, really just like, what do I want to say? Um, making sure that they are like super comfortable. And I would say even inappropriately comfortable with each other. So that was my first like foreshadowing that he was doing some grooming. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't think it's like normal for a grown man to that's, I don't, I took him to be, I don't think they ever say his age specifically, but I took him to be like in his forties or so maybe late thirties. Like it is not normal for a man to be attracted to a 14 year old girl. Like it's not. So everything that he was saying was to make her feel like she is the one that has the power and like he can't help himself because it also, I mean, like, I don't know, maybe he was justifying it in his own mind, but that's like how many people get out of being held accountable in society for their actions as adults, you know, perpetrating sexual crimes on children. And so that's how I took it. I have heard similar stories from people that were molested, that this is how that some people, some perpetrators operate. So that's how I took it. I don't know. I mean, my sister is a victim of, of being, of molestation. So um, not from a, a parent, but from a teacher. And so um, I don't know if that experience kind of like clouds my pick like what I'm thinking about or how I'm understanding the book when I read it but I do very much I don't know that was just my first instinct like oh my gosh he's grooming her that's what he's doing here and he's gonna there's gonna end up I mean I could have called it from the first scene with the two of them like this is gonna end up with him molesting her so I don't know that's so that's my take on that part I, but I do think that the book is about her relationship with her mom. And I think that the point of bringing foster care into it and how foster care was portrayed, which I do think is fairly realistic. Yes, some kids get into really great homes, but I don't think that everybody gets into a really great home. And historically, there's been a lot of issues in foster care where people were not held accountable or, or that conditions, uh, even in places where they weren't being abused or neglected, is still not ideal. Um, I, but I took it as maybe what the author was trying to portray is we think that her mom is so bad, or I don't know. I mean, I thought her mom was at some point so bad, but I was like, really, honestly, was her mom as bad as some of the circumstances that she got put into in foster care? 
And I, th- I think that was the purpose was to kind of like juxtapose those two things and make you really think about like as bad as her mom was, was it worse than where she ended up in some circumstances in foster care? Wow. This is a, <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh, I got to unpack that. Dr. Jen, what are your thoughts about the book? Your first thoughts? And we were talking about what is this book about is this timely does this book need to be written is it relevant what was the author's intentions I I enjoy this book so I actually read it when years ago and it's been sitting on my bookshelf ever since I kept it because I enjoyed it so much the first time around and so I I reread it a couple months ago I had gotten one of the books on my calendar mixed up and so I I read it like I don't know in January or something so it's been a little bit um, since I, I, I have read it but I think it's about our, it's about relationships and it's about connection with parents, I think, and the lengths that we go to, to try to fulfill that need for connection and how we kind of form ourselves around what's in our environment to, to meet that, that need for, for connection. And I thought it was, it was sad, certainly at times, at times it certainly made me angry. There was lots of interesting, you know, unusual things that happened <laughs> in, in the book. Yeah, I think that's my first assessment. I was just surprised that this book might have actually been about the relationship between a mother and a daughter. Because through the book, I was, I know there was this letter and I was just getting really mad at her mother. I just, throughout the book, there was just, I remember getting angry with her mother. I just was like, I didn't like her. And then towards the end, I'm like, oh, wow, do you really love her? Like that, the concept when her mother reveals to her that she did love her just completely blew my mind. I'm going, oh, my gosh, this is a mother-daughter relationship. This is that back and forth. This is the baggage everyone carries. And this is the crosses we bear kind of a thing. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness. So, um yeah, I I guess for me, the whole, is this about foster care? Is this about what happens in foster care? I was just kind of like, yeah, well, I didn't think of it as, is does this happen in foster care? I'm just like, okay, this is life. Not that I am excusing that it's acceptable. It's kind of like me saying, well, rape happens. It's life. It's not acceptable. Murder happens. It's life. It it happens. Not acceptable. But there was a lot of that. These are negative elements that happen in our lives. Also, I will say, Erin, about the whole thing about, oh, a man couldn't help himself. And uh, that's their excuse. You know, I couldn't help myself. And then there's the whole issue of grooming. But that is, even today, the current state of a man. It's very easy to just explain, oh, I'm a man, so I have desires and I have wants, so I am just going to push myself on this woman. I am just going to groom this woman because it's in my nature. I don't know. There is this part of me that really questions that is that acceptable or is it is it a man's nature 
Are, is their testosterone so freaking high that they cannot think straight? I, I mean, I'm trying to be devil's advocate. I'm trying, okay, I'm trying, you know, to be like, okay, okay, okay. For example, for example, as a pediatric dentist, I see moms and kids and these moms are so, I personally feel so irrational when it comes to their kids. They cannot think straight. It's like this mom, oh my God, my kid's so perfect. This is my baby. Oh my God. Okay, so you're like, that's just the brain, the structure of a mom. That's just how it is, I guess, you know, with the hormones or is it not? Are you, are you supposed to fight biology and everything else? I'm not excusing that, you know, you can just take advantage of anyone. Men will be men. Boys will be boys. I know that's what the talk is. But why does that talk come? Is it is it because it's the hormonal level is so high or is it a system where, you know, men really experience that level? I mean, I'm not a man. I've never experienced that high of a I got it. I've got to nail him. I'm going to go after him. I'm just going, you know, but it feels to me that when I read about a man, that is all he thinks about. Why is that? That That's my, you know, and um, Aaron, for your thing about, you know, your sister and all of that. Has any one of you read My Dark Vanessa? I know Aaron has. Have you, Rifat? I have. I have it on my Kindle. I haven't read it. It, but... it is. Again, that's that that is not that I will not excuse. I mean, my dark Vanessa was a very orchestrated, very mathematical equation to the way he was. But anyway, I'll get off my alternative hypothesis soapbox. Have you all hate me and have Dr. Jen talk next. Um, So in the situation where you have a young child who doesn't have um, a good relationship or parenting kind of figure, there is a power dynamic, as Aaron mentioned, where the, the child is really seeking that approval and that love from that parent and, and that parent parental figure. And that parental figure can take advantage of that desire for connection from the child um, and use it to their advantage to get what they want, which is what I think occurred in, in this in this book, in the situation that, that we, we guys were talking about earlier. And it is absolutely not acceptable. And um, men don't have an excuse. And I don't buy the hormone um, uh, theory for a second. We talk about this in our culture as we try, we want to excuse men for doing it because they're the ones that have historically had power. They're the ones who know that they can get away with it. And so I think us saying that it's okay for them to do it and boys will be boys and that's just the way men are is is excusing them for behavior that they need to be held responsible for they have a fully developed frontal lobe they have a sense of morality and right and wrong they should be able to know that that is wrong i'll get off my soapbox now (laughs) no you are absolutely right no way to go no that was that was well said i applaud you on that it was very well said I will go ahead and support that even further to say that as a woman in coming into her prime of life after age bear, after childbearing years, 
Some might call me a cougar, let's say. You know, those hormones for women, they go up at this age. And dang, if I haven't felt it, I have felt it. And there is a very strong hormonal desire to have sex. It is there. It is almost primal. And I often think to myself, why do we allow men to have this stereotype that they're so driven by sex when, you know, we actually get more out of it? Like a man can have, you know, one orgasm, that's it. You got to wait for a few hours. But ladies, when it comes to sex, it (laughs) is way better for us than the man. So if I can control myself these days, and sometimes it is hard, then any man out there can do it as well. All right, way to go. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've gone up and down on the soul sexual thing. I mean, there are times been high, but generally my thoughts are coming from the fact that in general, I mean, now I'm, I'm way past my prime in my life. But in general, I think sexually, my sex drive has always, I feel, been very low compared to average. I don't, I mean, not, I don't know why I say this, because I think I talked to like, there's some women who are like, oh my gosh, I really needed this. And, you know, there are times in my life, sure, I've had that primal desire, but not as much. I feel as some other women. And so that's why I say it. I'm like, oh, well, I think as a woman, I just don't have as much desire as a man. But you're absolutely right. There is no excuse for their behavior, especially, oh my gosh, with this age differential and all of that. I don't know, maybe I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to understand why is it even implied that he was right? I don't think it was anywhere mentioned that he should have been excused. It's definitely, you know, that's a default statement, I guess. But I really appreciate, you know, I think you uh, were so honest about it and you're right. And we all, all we, we all have to control and everything. And that's very true. But when it comes to the main character, I think, yes, that. I really hated that guy. He definitely groomed her and, you know, he really did what he needed to do to get his way. But we can't forget that there were other women too who groomed her that way to her own mom. He, you know, she remembers hearing her having sex when she was very young. Uh, She remembers callers coming in or whatever you call them. And then the foster mom who who's already living with four kids with a man who's married to somebody else. So she doesn't have very good examples. There are women who are giving those examples to that 14 year old girl. And that does not mean that I'm not blaming the guy too. But what I'm saying is, you know, there's an environment where there are two women actually justifying that whatever she's doing is okay, or that whatever the guy is doing is okay. When it comes to all that uh, need and everything, when we say, and when, when we say we, then we should also include all those women who are out there putting themselves out there. Give us money and we'll give you sex. I mean, it's so easy for a man to find. It's a click away. It's just a click away to do that, right? You know, it's just a few dollars away, you know, 
she herself, the mom says, you look like a $15 whore for, a, you know, some, I don't remember exact words, but that's what it comes down to. So I, I, I'm not saying that men sh- should not have control or it's definitely not at all something that I agree that, you know, but I can't just put all the blame on men and it's only him when there are so many other, even afterwards when she goes and that um, the person who lived across, she also taught her how to become a prostitute, how to seduce men, right? So that's where uh, I think there's a full, you know, scene where she she's getting this thing where she she's okay doing what she's doing. So that also can answer the question when uh, if we were talking about how come a young girl like this can, uh, how did she learn to be seduced and all that or to seduce whatever. But that's how she did because, you know, she saw her mom doing all that. And then she saw the foster mom telling her how to wear clothes and, you know, all those pink tank tops and heels and all that. Those are also part of her grooming, not only that stupid. I don't remember that guy's name, but that was a very, that was my point. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you just said. I, if, when you said that, Rifith, about the women, like they are socializing. I mean, it. I think about the most like egregious example that I can think about in literature, uh, The Handmaid's Tale, and you've got the ants, uh, you know, that are, you know, they're doing that. That's their job. Right. But and that's that's a very obvious example of what you're talking about. But I think in our everyday life, we kind of forget that, you know, that is part of the socialization for girls. How to, I guess, trade in the currency of sex, because that's I mean, even it's not just it's about seduction, too. Uh, We're expected to do ourselves up. Men don't wear makeup generally. I mean, some do, but most don't, you know, they don't like, I don't know, spend as much time on their hair and clothes and everything. And we are held to a completely different beauty standard. And I think that's a really good example of exactly what you're talking about. And not to say that the women around her had power, but the little power that they maybe had was because of how they were trading in that currency of seduction and, and sex. And And maybe that was their only currency. Yeah, I was just thinking about all of the women that were represented in in the book as she was going from kind of house to house and thinking about which ones were portrayed as being the happiest. Like, because you think about the girl, the the woman where she had a bunch of kids that, that the main character had to take care of and she had to dye her hair in the bathroom. There was that one. She was clearly not very happy. And then there was the, um, the, the depressed mom, of course, and she was very not happy, obviously. And then there was like, um, her own, her own mother, clearly, um, not super happy. And then there was the prostitute next door. And, um, she actually seemed to be relatively content with her life. So she knew that she had power over men and she, could obtain money and independence by using them. Um, And she was portrayed as actually pretty content with her life. And then finally, when you get to the end, the the lady who's like reselling junk, I forgot her name too. She, I don't know if she was happy per se, but at least she was kind of real and present in the moment. Um, 
with whatever was there. And I, I think that's kind of how our main character came around to to that. And in, in the end, she's like, yeah, there's all these people with all these different relationships and you can, you know, do things for money. You cannot do things for money. You can, but really just, you know, kind of being being here and, and having these relationships, however they are, is kind of how she ended up. Man, I just wanted to thank you, ladies, for bringing to mind the points that you've been making. I remember now, now that you guys have been talking about it, Astrid's rage when her foster mother, the actress, killed herself. And Astrid was watching her bend over backwards, just chase her husband, who sort of clearly did not want to have much to do with her and Astrid kind of just called it this this relationship that the women in her life tend to have with men which is you know just giving away all of their power and they're really giving it away yeah that that actually makes me enjoy the book more so thank you I just think you know when you look at today and girls and women you know Everything's about, oh, how cute am I? Oh, I'm going to get this, you know, let me wear this blouse a little bit lower. And I mean, it's all over the internet, you know, TikTok, everything, you know, it's all about girls doing things. And there is a subconscious need for these women, these young girls for attention, and it's always like, hi. And then the boys are like, hi. And, and then they're like, oh my gosh, he said hi to me. And this is a, I know we've probably discussed this at some point about how society, you know, it's okay for a girl to do that. Why don't we sit there and be like, retrain the girls to say, you are more than what you wear. You are more than how you dress and how you look. You, you, there is something inside of you. There's an internal beauty. You have direction. You have a life. You have goals. Your own happiness matters. But even today, I don't see that message plastered over in every family. In healthy families, sure. But it's hard because we are fighting society and societal pressures where this is going on. And then with all of this, you've got kids dealing with bullying. And, you know, I know it's kind of a tangent, but it's not because this is happening today. And young girls are just looking to get accepted. You know, yes, they're looking for attention, but they'll get attention anywhere they get it because they want to feel good within themselves. And somehow, if it's not nipped in the bud, there's going to be a man who tells them that, ooh, let me give you sexual attention. This is attention too. This is pleasure. And diverting her brain and her attention, instead of putting her attention into internal happiness, diverting her brain into, well, you are more a vehicle for sexual pleasure for men. And maybe you'll enjoy it too. Maybe. Well, I was just going to say, I think that one of like, that is like one of the hardest things to fight as far as socialization within our, our culture is this like 
over emphasis on appearance and like, not just like your appearance in, in, you know, I don't know, uh, being healthy. It's, it's, it's like this overemphasis on an ideal body type, an ideal look, an ideal style and this stuff. And it's, um, I did not appreciate before being a mom to a girl, how hard that that hits and, and how early that it hits. And it has been, it was shocking to me, honestly, to, to watch it. And I was, um, I, I, you know, we don't put an emphasis on that in our house. My rule was always like, I'll lay out clothes or whatever, but like she, if she picks out her own clothes, like, I don't care what she wears as long as it's weather appropriate, you know, before she can understand consequences of not weather appropriate. That was the most important thing to me. Right. Like I wasn't the mom that was, I, I, I was never the mom that was trying to fix her hair because from a, from infancy, she would take the little, little, uh, headbands that everybody gets the babies, you know, and she'd be like, boom, done, not going to keep that on. So, um, that was not, you know, that taught me very quickly. Like, I'm just going to let her do her own thing. And I, I really tried very hard to do that. Um, and we tried very hard about like being very body positive regardless. Like that meant me, like I had to look inward because we, I think we all struggle a little bit with body appearance. And I think that is, I mean, I will 100% say it's socialization because I was holding myself to probably an unrealistic standard, but you know, I had to stop when I had her, I was like, I'm not going to talk negatively about my body. I'm going to talk positively about my body in front of her. And I do think it made a difference, but it is, it is very hard to combat what society tells them. And it hits so young. I mean, she's only in second grade, you know, and there was this dress that my husband got her and she wore it with like a tutu under it. Cause she wanted to be like this, like Sophia, if you're familiar with princess Sophia cartoon, you know, like this, like over the top thing. Okay. She wore it to school and I guess some kids must've made fun of her or said something because then she came home and that, that dress has been in the closet. And every time I, I pull it out, she's like, no, I'm not wearing that. So it's yeah. But, but I think that um, one thing that we do to, to fight it here in our house is me and Scott are on the same page about that. The other thing is grandmas. Oh my gosh. Worst offenders ever. And I have to say it to both of them because they'll be like, oh, you're going to go out like that. And I look at them like this and I do this. And then when she leaves the room, I'm like, we don't say that. If she has bathed at some point in the last 24 to 48 hours, (laughs) this is in what's weather appropriate. We go how we are. We do not overemphasize the looks because that's not what's important. That's not what this is about. And I can't even tell you how many times I have to correct both of the grandmas. It's terrible, but I love them that I know they don't mean it. It's just their socialization. So it's with socialization. And then you have this book of, you know, like girls wanting attention. And, and here's the thing. Let's be honest here. Attention is something every human being craves. It's in different forms, though. I mean, maybe men crave it in a different way. Women crave it in a different way. But everyone wants attention and everyone wants respect. And with that said, with socialization, 
I think boys need to be trained to be like, this is inappropriate behavior. You know, yeah, your hormones are crazy. Yeah, you want to stick it in every hole you can possibly find. But this is inappropriate. Socialization needs to nail it into their heads that that's inappropriate, just as much as we talk about nailing it into girls' heads that they are important and their happiness is important. You know, and then I'm just trying to think, what would a young girl reading this book, what would her takeaway be? What, what are your thoughts on that? So let's say you have a 14-year-old reading this book. You have Astrid with this man. And they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, she is, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing it out there. Rifat, you're next. Erin, I loved what you said, by the way. <laughs> I think that's really good, too, because uh, and I'll answer the question later. But I just want to say that even my mom always said, you have to look. This is not how we look when we go out. And it's a very typical thing to say to your daughters. But I think this is such a good uh, I don't have girls, but uh, that is such a good way of looking at it, you know, of training them. But I remember always being told that, you know, you have to look good and all that. And, you know, I've lost a lot of it over time, but I was very fashion conscious, not trying to attract anybody or somebody, but I always like to dress up and all that, you know, but for some years I've been like, just what it, it is, what it is. And it's all good. Uh, as long as I look younger, <laughs> that's my attention. Rupert, this is you not fashion conscious. You look gorgeous. Every time I'm like, Wow. <laughs> Rifat is so put together. I, I, I always, okay, I, I didn't judge you, but I did. I was oh, like, no. oh, you know, oh, Rifat is, you know, one of these girls is just fashion conscious. <laughs> she just wants to look good. I mean, I know a lot of women like that. It's totally, yeah. if that's who you are, that's who you are. And I'm like, this is you not fashion conscious. I would love to see pictures of you when you were fashion conscious because <laughs> that's my wedding picture. Ooh, but that's a wedding, you know, so. Yeah, that's a wedding. But, you know, you make a good bride, beautiful bride, when you know what fashion is. <laughs> well, I made a good bride too, but. Of the, course. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I didn't make it that way. <laughs> kind yes, of. I mean, true. accidents happen. But, but, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, so I don't know where me and fashion kind of went through. I think. I am an anomaly in this society, in this, the cogwheels. The reason is, for me personally, yes, I wanted attention. I absolutely, I mean, I still crave attention. I still talk loud so people can hear me. So, hey, I, I, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Or I'll talk, you know, so I get the attention of the room. I'm just like starved for it. Even now, I'm almost 50. But when I was younger, when it comes to looks and attention, my cog in the wheel was growing up, I always was told, I was growing up, I was always told that I was ugly. So I had very much resigned that, okay, let's think about this. You're dark skinned, people are calling you blackie. 
you're ugly, you will never be anything in society. So why take the effort to even paint your face and wear makeup? And somewhere I even, you know, I was also a little bit religious with Islam and stuff. So I was like, you know what? Islam says it's all about internal beauty. All these other women. So I became judgmental and anti-women and anti-makeup. Like I just went in the other direction. I went anti-women. Then again, I was also anti-men. So I don't know what I was pro of, but, but you know, it's like, so here I am when I, uh, you know, came to America and uh, I think I was in my late twenties or early thirties and my family gets together and my cousins who at that time, if I was in my thirties, they're in their twenties, right? And they come to these parties like, you know, wearing at least a minimal foundation, a minimal lipstick, minimal eyeliner, just, you know, not full, but it's, they, they wear it. And I remember seeing a picture with which we took at a party of me with my cousins and they look, their faces are so bright because of the makeup and everything. And my face just looks like this. So it, it's just kind of, I mean, over time, I, didn't start to hate women who wore makeup. I just started thinking in terms of like, you know, it's people's um, makeup is more of an art. It's not necessarily a superficial thing. And then there was the book Confidence Code about women and makeup. And honestly, my gut tells me that, you know, how many men wear makeup and they're totally accepted. But women, we are right from young age. It's like, if you don't wear makeup, you're just, there is that look you have to maintain. My niece a few months ago was like, auntie, are you going to color your hair? Just do it once. And I said, I have done it once many times. And this time I am done. This is the way I look. I may not look good to you, but this is the way I look and I'm happy with it. And it's also that I'm married. I have attention from my husband. I am happy internally. So I don't go around seeking that much of an attention. I'm more, you know, with you guys and my friends and everybody who's telling me, no, you are attractive. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not that attractive. I'm okay, but maybe I'm not ugly. So I'm kind of boosting it up. But back to the book is that these women not these women, but women in general, you know, we all want attention and that's society and another soapbox. Excellent. Nina, you're next. First, you are beautiful. Objectively, not just subjectively. The other thing I wanted to touch upon was socialization and about men and boys. And what comes to mind is the dad side hug which I hopefully we're all familiar with that awkward man side hug. And so I think that, you know, in the book, there were a few men who understood this is a teenager, this is a child, she's gorgeous, and I'm going to stay away from her, I'm going to look away from her, and I'm going to do the dad side hug. So there are definitely, it's an individual thing, and there are men out there, thank God, who have 
a strong moral compass and are teaching that to their sons. And then for a 14 year old girl, I don't have a daughter, but I have nieces and I would actually like them to read this book along with their sex education class. I think it would be very, it would provide a lot of windows into different lives that a lot of girls I know who are not having to live in foster homes, they should just be aware of. And it, it would just really enrich the discussion of a sex education class. So that's how I think it could be used. Nina, um, I know you have to go in five minutes. So, I mean, I'm not calling book club close, but I would like your um, final rating of the book and your thought on the cover of the book. Okay, so, and I was just sending you guys a note because I, I have to step away. So I don't remember, I got the Kindle version of it, the cover, oh, there we go. Woo. Yeah, that cover pretty much sums it up. Uh, it, Can you show I have, it? It is, that cover is very descriptive of it. It grabs my attention. I would give it a five. The book overall, I was giving it like a two or a three before I talked to you guys. And now I think it's at a 3.5. And then the cover, I would go, yeah, cover five, book 3.5. Excellent. Good thing. So anyone else about um, your thoughts on a teenage girl reading this book? I, now? I, I do think that it would be an appropriate book for teenagers to read. I think that there are some 14-year-olds that could handle it. There's other 14-year-olds that this would, they're just developmentally not there yet. But I do think that in high school, especially when you're talking junior seniors like this is I think completely appropriate in fact I mean I'm just thinking like a lot of people read um the scarlet letter in that age frame and this would be a similar comparison in my opinion so yeah I think it's appropriate I don't think that there's it's probably a great time because also that's a time when teenage girls are having naturally like a lot of um, conflict with their moms. I, I mean, I hear this from moms of teenage girls. I think I was the teenager of a mom who experienced that. So yeah, I think that there could be multiple things that they could relate to and that would be insightful for them. I wouldn't have a problem. I'm sure somebody in some school district would be like, I'm banning this, but I think if it's a book, it needs to be banned. Not, no, I'm just joking, obviously, when you say, you know, like, I mean, people don't need a reason these days to ban a book. It's like pretty soon it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a woman in this book. Let's ban it. There's a man in this book. Let's ban it. There are kids in this book. Let's ban it. I, it's just like there's a car in this book. We've got to ban the book. No more cars. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dr. J, you're next. To say I I I agree with Erin that I think there are probably some teenagers that would get it. I think definitely more the later high school, but I I feel like 
the middle school 14 15 age is a little young for it i don't i think they're kind of in the midst of all that conflict i don't know that they would have the perspective yet to really separate themselves from their current parental conflict relationships and and kind of see it for what it is i i think it might be too complex of a time um, I, I think that having that kind of um, those experiences and more life under your belt, I guess, and kind of looking back and I, I think they'd have more of a concept of how things weren't quite right in, in the book. Yeah, I was going to say it really depends upon the exposure the girl had already, the culture and the maturity that every person has innate to them. So I think I can't just say that uh, everybody's going to react to it the way one person's not going to react to it, the other person will. So my answer is, I don't know how, I would really know the person before I recommend it, especially a 13, 14 year old. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, okay, to be clear, like I have a pair of nieces that are twins that are 17, but they have been very sheltered in their life. And so like, I don't, know that I would recommend this book for them. Also, if I did, I'm fairly certain my sister-in-law would stop talking to me. (laughs) Um, But we have very different parenting views. So, but yeah, I mean, I could see there, there, there's definitely like, for example, if my nephew who is 18 now, if he had asked about this book at 16 or so, I would actually have been like, yeah, you should read it. He's going to be an attorney thinking about family law, like, yeah, you should. He And he was mature enough and exposed to enough things that I think he could have been okay with it. I, I just want to say one thing. I know I didn't raise my hand, but, um, you know, I personally think uh, that the girls who are sheltered, this book actually might be a very good for them to really know the, the risk that's out there because uh, a sharp or like a person who knows a lot is probably going to be able to save themselves if they're not going the wrong path, but a a sheltered and a a person who has not been exposed. I think it's a very good book for them. That's what I think, but I don't know. I don't want you to fight with your (laughs) sister-in-law. This would not be the first time. (laughs) Will not. Right. (laughs) I have been very sheltered in my life. And I think the sheltering, I don't know if I would have read this book how I would have processed it and thought oh oh my gosh this is not right I hate to say I would have thought well but he kind of you know the whole grooming thing I might have thought oh he did kind of like her like I would have convinced myself that he liked her and he was nice to her and I might have been like, because I was so sheltered, I didn't know what the world was like. I would have gotten the message that this is the way the world is and that this is appropriate. Maybe I'm just a stupid kid or was a stupid kid or still am stupid. Maybe that's what it is. But I think from a sheltered perspective, I will tell you that's kind of where I come from because I was very much in a box. I mean, gosh, yeah. When I got married, I was in that married box. I was so like in this box, whatever my husband said was law, was correct. That's just the way it was. 
I mean, Brad's still deprogramming me going like, what the heck is wrong with you? (laughs) I mean, but, but that's the thing, the programming, it happens with, with the kids. And like you said, with her and seeing all the other women and, you know, her mother and the foster care she's at. Yeah, it, it is programming. And once you're programmed, it's, I think it's, Harder to deprogram programming, especially negative programming. It's very easy to deprogram good programming because life is always going in terms of what is that called? Entropy, you know, like disarray. So to maintain order, that program, that programming is harder to maintain rather than the programming just deprogramming say okay you can do whatever you want that's that's easier so I I agree with that but it kind of like so with Nora we never use the terms like fat skinny like those are not words that you hear in our home and so like I remember the first time that Nora like consciously was like what does this word mean and it was after kindergarten and she was like what does the word fat mean like I don't know it was on we were watching something and and they they said fat and I was like first of all this has to go and then second (laughs) second of all I was like well how am I going to answer this question uh you know but I think that when we in our house didn't use those words to label people you know like you and now now she's heard it labeling she's used heard those words used to label people you can't undo that like you can't unknow that that other people use those labels but for I don't know five or six years we had made it through (laughs) her life without using those words to label people now there's no going back I mean we don't use those words still in our house and she knows that but she now knows that other people use those words so to be clear I was talking on mute I said you know, right. It's all about that programming, deprogramming, society, all of that. So, so I I really like that programming thing that you talked about, Janaz, and I think it goes so well with the book as well. This was another thing that touched me in the book that towards as she grows older, it seemed like that she had resigned to this thing that she, she was going to be a cheater. Like she ended up cheating on so many people that even in the end, she goes, uh, she was living with that guy, with a young dude. And then she was going to go, she anticipated that she was going to have an affair with the teacher, if I remember right, with the professor. She says in the end, when she's living in another country with the young guy, and then there's a teacher who's flirting with her or like advancing, she goes like, this relationship is not going to stay anyway, because I'm going to end up sleeping with the teacher. So, I mean, that's the programming that she had. She lost that, uh, you know, she, and she knows cheating is wrong. It's not that she doesn't, but she kind of resigned to this thing. It's so strongly built in her, not that she was a bad person, but I think she still is a better person than her mom. She kind of broke some of the habits, and some of the learning that she had from her, but she ended up becoming that. And I thought that was really uh, kind of touchy and sad. And the other prime point I totally forgot. If I remember, I'll raise my hand. Okay. What else do we want to talk about with this book? Characters, themes, anything? 
I wish I remembered more. I, like I said, it was two months ago and it's memory, dude. I, every time I tell myself when I read the book, I'm going to write notes. And then I did it on audio and then life. And I'm like working on something, doing the podcast, going here, going there. And then it's book club already. And I'm going, okay, A, you didn't take notes and B, you didn't listen to the book again. A plus plus. Anyway, anything else? I think my favorite character, if you wanted, if you do want to talk about that, um, when she goes back to the group home before she gets put with the lady who has like the four teenage girls and they're the ones pregnant and right. Okay. She's there and she meets a, a guy who she likes, like they have this friendship, right? She, he wants more. She doesn't, but they compromise on a, a good solid friendship. And then they exchange letters back and forth after he moves for a bit, but then I guess, you know, that is interrupted, but I really liked his character. I mean, I know he was hurting too. And I think he was seeking out attention at, like we've just been describing for Astrid. I mean, he was a little bit more positive because he's looking to his peers, but I think he still, he went looking for a sexual relationship and ended up you know, because that was maybe the attention that he thought he could get, um, or maybe he had had success getting that, you know, attention that way in the past. And he ended up with, with a really good friendship. Um, I'm sad that, you know, his life took him away from Astrid, um, and their friendship, but I just liked, I liked his character. I mean, I like Astrid too, but you know, if we were talking about side characters or whatever, I really thought that that was an interesting relationship. Uh, isn't, isn't that the guy that she ended up with at the end, though? You're talking about the guy that she was leaving letters yeah. with the comic book shop or something? Yeah, I couldn't I think figure that's out the if guy it was the she same ended- guy. Okay. I think it was. I think it was. But then she was going to mess up that relationship anyway. But <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I agree. I, I liked his character, too. And I agree yeah. that everybody was, everybody's traumatized in their own way. <laughs> and I don't remember enough of the characters to even tell you that I like this character. I mean, I remember, you know, Astrid's character like evolving over time now that everyone's talking I'm like oh yeah that's right and then she went into this that's right but I don't remember specific characters of going that guy I like so can I talk about a guy I don't like uh the one from the beginning that her mom gave the poison to because man was he a jerk so Yep, that's, uh, I started this whole mess. I mean, it didn't really start the whole mess, but certainly had a, a hand in it for sure. Um, I loved Astrid's character a lot. I think the way there was some some tenderness in her that stayed with her towards the end. She, I think she was, she was kind of conscious about what she was doing. She knew it was wrong. She wanted to learn, but, you know, it was just very nicely done. I think I loved her character. And I also liked the character of the actress. One of the actresses, right? I remember that. I mean, she did she, ended, did she end up killing herself, right? Yeah. I think I kind of liked her a little bit more than others. Uh, but in terms of character development, even the mom's character, character was developed really nicely. And I think uh, like we were talking about having young girls read the book, the character of that, um, what was that guy molester? 
his was done pretty good too. I think she did a very good job in painting the picture of a man that girls should really stay away from. Anything else with the book? I also like the fact that, you know, and Shanaz, you said this in the beginning that moms come in there irrational about their kids and men think that they can control their hormones. I also liked how she kind of made a lot of things, a lot of, um, what do I want to say? Like, okay, I'm forgetting, but anyway, it's probably fasting, but uh, that not all moms are the same. Like it's how, what happens when selfish people become parents? What happens when a mother is not just becomes mother because she conceives and gives birth and but she doesn't have that characteristic so we can say everything about men and mother and women and but you know after all you're all a human first and we become what we are and uh, you know I think that was also that's the saddest thing when I said you know that how our lives depend upon other how vulnerable we are when we are brought into this world because we don't know it's just whoever hands we are in is where we go. So that was the sad and nice kind of a, I think to me, that was the message of the book. If, if there was a message, then that's what it is. That's beautiful. It's where we go. I like that. That That is, no, you're right. It's the cards were dealt with, the dice is thrown and what numbers come out is what numbers come out. And if you're playing Catan and you're, you have sheep right there and you need sheep, you get sheep. That's how it works, right, Aaron? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're like board gamers here a little bit. So, um, okay, anything else? Or we go to book cover. I like the cover. At first, again, like before coming in, I was like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> I might have been led slightly astray with that. But you can tell it's a young girl. You can tell that you know, there's, there's something going on that she's maybe down about, but um, I think it's a fine cover. I understand the significance of the title. And I think that it's a good title. I don't think it's very descriptive, but I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. And so I guess I would give the cover of four in the title a five. What do you think is the significance of the title? Well, the white oleander was supposed to be what made people like kind of lose their mind at just being in the air, you know? And so I think the point, you know, one of the points that she's made is like these, like the women giving away their power and, you know, is it, is it the white oleander in the air? I don't know. That's how I took it. But. Uh, so I think the white oleander was the poison that the mom used to kill the the guy. And to me, the title kind of, without having read the book before, it seems, um, like kind of a, a an innocence, you know, like a white, this white flower. It's very innocent. And then like juxtaposed with the cover of this girl um, in a very vulnerable position, you know, unzipping her dress with her face looking down. I was like, wow, when I see this, this is, this is going to be a sad story about someone who's traumatized and vulnerable. Like when I, when I see the, the cover and the title, like that's what I was expecting to get. And so I think that it was accurate in, in, in that um, so I, I loved the title and, and the cover and the book in general. So it's, for me, it's a five across the board. I liked it all. So for me, amazing enough. I mean, when you guys showed it to me, it's like, I, yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's that picture of that girl. Oh, wow. How did I miss that? Because I have this alternative theory always. And uh, I got held up 
on the font of white oleander. I, I just, it's the way that font is and it's irregular almost like it's some areas are thick and some are thin. I got so held up on the font. My eyes just blurred everything beneath that. So I just was like, okay. And I didn't care about really what the book was about or whatever, because I was like, this is book club. I'm going to read it. So I went in without knowing anything. So for me, cover is, I mean, looking at it now, I would definitely give it a five. I hadn't really assessed it completely. Title, I know she mentions the white oleander in the beginning. I remember her mentioning the flower that grew there. And then I was like, okay, where's this thing coming from? But Erin, now that you tell me about how she's really taken that flower and used that example of, you know, like even Dr. Jen saying, you know, this flower is just, it's a simple flower, but it's actually the root of all the stuff. It's freaking brilliant. When I think in those terms, it is it is a brilliant title, but it's for the... Um, intellectual person it as an intellectual title I'll give it a five as a book title just the average person walking into a bookstore even someone who's well read but you know someone who reads books walking into a bookstore white oleander I would give that like three and a half that way intellectually five yes but then in general book thing I'd give it a three and a half uh the rating of the book did we do that yet I'm I'm so lost uh, no, we did not. We did not. Because I got confused because Dr. Jen said, I give it five all across the board. And I'm going, oh, wait, all across the board is like cover title rating. <laughs> so I got confused. Okay, we'll get back to that. Okay. Um, yeah, the title, I really, like you said, I think, okay, before I go to the title or everything, after I read the book, I read the book because somebody told me, so I didn't really care much. I didn't pick it myself. So I, I don't remember. And then I saw there was a movie after it and all that. So I thought it has to be a good book. So I read it. But, you know, she, the, the writer seems like a very secure person to me. The way she wrote the book, the way she has the title, the way she has the characters, the way she has the cover. And you said that writers don't pick their covers, but whatever she was able to pick from. I think it's just uh, to me, especially after reading the book, five, five for title and uh, the cover. And we're not reading the book yet, right? Okay, five for both. But you can go with the rating. Why not just get going with it? I will give it a five. I think there were so many facets to the book. I just loved it so much. For me, it was like something I would definitely read a few times before I die. <laughs> so I started out with like somewhere between a four and a 4.5. But after our conversation, I really feel like it's a five. I would I would recommend it for people to read. I may even read it again myself. And I like never say that. So um <laughs> Not because of it's being a joyous or whimsical book by any means, but I just feel like there's more there to unpack from the different relationships. And I was kind of in a little bit of a hurry to finish it because I was afraid I wasn't going to finish it in time. So yeah, I definitely would read it again. For me, I'd give it a five. Although I don't remember much, I do remember feeling like, oh, wow, what just hit me? I remember that feeling. And I was like, there's no way. 
I am not giving this book a five. Like it was a very immediate, hands down, I'm giving this book a five. I wanted to read it again before book club. And I was actually looking forward to it. I was like, well, this book would be a good book to read again because I know you enjoyed it so much then. So maybe I will read it again, but my TBR is, as you all know, out of control. So, but I would like to read it again at some point in my life, maybe. I was just going to say, yes, it is so vivid um, and and real to me with the character development and the trauma. It's like you're experiencing it with them. And so, uh, yeah, this is a book that has really stuck with me. Like I read it years ago and kept it on my bookshelf and um, every now and then think about it. Right. So um, it is definitely a, a good one from from my perspective. Anything else before um, we close this episode? Rufa. It's always me. Okay, I, uh, and I know if, if you guys want to leave me, I just wanted to say that, um, and I know we have limited time, but we didn't talk about mom's character as much as, you know, I think the, back, the book calls for her own development from like being a beautiful young woman to a mom to like you know seductress and all that and being an artist and being you know kind of secretive and even a killer and the way she even manipulated things while she was in jail for herself she was able to get herself free right was she able to write a book even right or something like that and then control the daughter not only the daughter but the foster parents as well So at one point of time, I compared her with Charles Manson. I don't know if you guys have, you know, it kind of seemed like that, you know, although he's the only killer who, one of the only killers, I wouldn't say only, who has been, I think, uh, charged for a murder, who actually never killed anybody, but he had that manipulative powers where he, you know, made people go and kill for him. So I think the mother's character was really kind of very complex and amazing and I I like that part I agree with you I really do I like I said that ending just really surprised me because I was like the mother's character was just it felt like that from the manipulation and hardness and you don't care and then it just switches over and it's just like oh wow okay It, it was very it was complex it was confusing I mean I think that the end, you know, speaks to the bonds of mothers and daughters that are even in very trying circumstances, as we saw, are hard to break, you know, not always, but, you know, I do, I, I, I do think that there's, uh, I think about just relationships that I've had in you know, my relationship with my own mom and relationship that she had with her mom and they're there's baggage there. There's, you know, there's a, there's things that are not ideal, but despite all of it, I've still, you know, I do still love my mom and I do still have that closeness to her, even though, you know, there were times in my life where I didn't talk to her for like a year. So I had to look back on that and I'm like, Oh, ah, it's hard. I was just going to bring up a, a scene that I don't know that we've talked about yet, but when Astrid remembers that her mom left her, 
that that scene stuck with me. Um, it was one of the things that was most vivid to me the first time I, I read the book, how she's asking about, you know, this lady in the in the potty training and she doesn't remember. Like, she asked, who, who is this person? You know, um, and mom's like, oh yeah, I left you, you know, and went off with some guy in Mexico or whatever it was um, during that that period of time. And at that time, it was just like, seemed like such a betrayal, um, of, of mom to, um, to Astrid. But yeah, that, that scene was very vivid for me for some reason. Yeah. That was striking to me and how, like, I can't remember how, I think she said she was about five or close to it, maybe a little bit younger four. Yeah. So that was striking to me because many people do have memories of that, but that was clearly something that she had maybe suppressed because it was so traumatic. Um, and then to have it surface itself the way that it did, I thought that was so just uh, not bizarre, but you know, it was just like, Oh, this is how that happens. This is how that works. And it does make you think like what, you know, what things have all of us suppressed <laughs> from, you know, that were traumatic from any age, but especially from a young age. Anything else? And thank you all for joining me for book club. And that was a great session. Thank you. Okay, so that was book club for April. For May and June, our book club is May is I Will Die in a Foreign Land by Kalani Pickard. And June is Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. So those should be interesting. Stay tuned for those. Of course, you'll have month in review and I'm working on bookish episodes. I know I'm saying working, but hey, I did one. I did the Libby app episode and I'm thinking of other episodes. So stick with me and stay tuned. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazahmed.com, that is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. It's time.